Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right, Evan, where's your intro? My intro? Your intro. What about my intro? I'm not intro. We decided every time you're late now, you're doing the intro. Oh, I'm going to be doing it all the time then. <laughs> Come on. You can you can drum something up. I assume this is the intro. Yeah, this definitely is the intro. You get the Perfect. hall pass this time. My job here is done. <laughs> you know, I'm actually uh, sitting in your spot today. You can't tell because of the... It's just a shitty laptop camera, but um, I moved as to where I am on the, the podcast table just to mix it up. Changing up your feng shui. Yeah. I feel like you right now just kind of leaning back, putting down my swell bottle really loud, looking at my phone, slamming it down. Yeah, I just did that before we started, so got that out of the way early. We couldn't hear. Oh, you'll hear the next one when I pick it up. I'll make sure. Uh, Brad, big day in the, the Crisco household. It's been a year since little Hank the Tank Crisco, not little anymore, has come around. No, he he is a little fire tank. Uh, yeah, we we successfully have kept two children alive for at least one year. This is way farther than I thought we would have got with either. Honestly, your insurance goes down, right? Or your child insurance or something? <laughs> I, honestly, year? it probably goes down for our liability, but it's going to go up for Hanks because now he's capable of more destruction. Especially considering he seem he's like like the full on walking guy. and running and climbing now. Ah, uh, well, Mika's teaching him too. Yeah, that's not a good thing. <laughs> I am blown away that it's a year. Yeah, you're telling me. Oh my god. Does he t- he hasn't said anything yet, right? Oh no, yeah, he says lots of things. Mama, dada, uh-oh, uh Pro- hey, protein. Yeah. Protein. <laughs> Probably both three curse words. Yeah, that's fair. Well, he's not a Bills f- Is he a Bills fan or a Lions fan? Buddy, he's got a giant scoreboard with the Bills logo that says Henrik's Field above his crib. That's for the best. I will I will force Detroit sports onto anyone I can. Any blank sports canvas I see where someone doesn't have a favorite team, I'll force Detroit sports on them. Not the Lions, though. I can't do that to people. No. I, I think it's against not. the Geneva Convention. See, like I, I, I feel you on that because I went 17 years with the same crap with the Bills. And now that they're actually good, they I, they still don't make it easy on you. They're good. They're 6-2. and two. They scrape by every win because they want me to die of a heart attack before i'm 35 apparently um speaking of actually i have no good transition here yes i want you to move out of the way to your mic to show everyone your november stash yeah apparently i was the only one who committed this year i totally forgot that it was november 1st today i thought it was going to be october 32nd that's fair i'm pretty sure it's actually march 217th well, it's snowed twice in the past, what, what, week where we are? It's snowing as we speak. At least here it is for There's me. snow anyway. sticking to the ground right now. Yeah. But it's supposed to be mid-teens, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So which who is, knows? Who knows where is, we're going? Which is good because the weather was so bad, we actually had to cancel Hank's birthday plans today because obviously with the quarantine, we didn't want to have a bunch of people in our house so we were just going to do the whole drive-by birthday thing like we did for mika back in may except it was snowing raining windy as all hell and cold as all hell so we're like yeah it's probably not the best conditions for a one-year-old so we postponed it to next saturday so if it stays warm that's a win 
Um, are you guys like November 1st, you start doing Christmas stuff, people, or? No, absolutely oh. not. Good God. No, Catherine tries, but I am, I hold on as long as possible to not do anything. We're messed up. Like the moment it flipped to November 1st, I'm like, fine, enough with this Halloween bullshit. We can start Christmas decorations. We can start holiday. Well, not planning anything. Holiday music, you know, she, Mel changed. I don't do any of this, but Mel changes like the pillow covers and stuff around the house. The towels in the kitchen become themed. That's all stuff that I can't do, but. Between getting I, two kids, between getting two kids ready for Halloween, actually doing Halloween, simultaneously getting ready for Hank's first birthday, and then dealing with Hank's first birthday and all the stuff we had going on for that, Crystal and I are very firmly set on not doing a goddamn thing for at least a week. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's probably for the best because having Christmas music on this early, I know, is technically like a uh, it's a condition I should be committed for it, but I won't change. Anyhow. On to hockey. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm embracing the Officer Rob Cop show right now. <laughs> I'm Evan. Um, some hockey news and a fun interview on this episode. Uh, we are talking to um, none other than Tony Ferrari of Dauber Prospects. Had a great conversation with him uh, talking about this uh, most recent draft, but more importantly, looking forward to the 2021 draft and beyond. Um, a lot to get excited about and a nice little primer for Red Wings fans um, while we go through probably a shortened amount of time without hearing about that um we're also going to talk about some other developments across junior hockey and maybe the red wings time allowing before getting into overtime um let's start with junior hockey ontario you know we live in ontario we understand it's kind of crazy here um as is everywhere else but just with how things are opening or closing or decisions are being made unilaterally regarding COVID-19. The most important thing, not the most important thing, the most prevalent thing within the hockey world related to Ontario is the OHL, obviously the Ontario Hockey League. Um, Sportsnet reported that there was a decision made that the OHL would be coming back next season, but with no body checking. Now, just a quick summary. And if either of you guys feel differently, differently than me, Please jump in, but I'm going to put out what I think is consensus here. We're all for playing hockey safely. Playing major junior hockey without body checking is not playing hockey. You may as well not play. It is not even the same game. It will be devastating for players' development. It doesn't even protect against the virus because that's not the hitting isn't (laughs) like if you're in a confined space with each other, like imagine a wall scrum like that's. That's where it would be transmitted, not just off an instantaneous body check. Like, that won't do anything. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a volcano to get it st- to stop it from erupting. It does not make sense at all. No, it makes absolutely zero sense. You can tell that the person in charge of this decision doesn't really have a firm grasp on how this virus works. Or, or how hockey is played. Or how the game of hockey works, um, which is amazing considering, you know, it's Ontario, Canada. Um you know, without ripping on her too much, you you can tell this is just a straight political power move for her trying to flex, whatever, who cares? I don't know her motivations, but that sure as hell is what it looks like. It was a little bit relieving to see her boss, the premier of Ontario, come out after and go, actually, um, no, we're exploring all options still, you know, saving face, saving face, saving face. And then David Branch, the OHL commissioner said, yeah, we haven't made a decision. That's news to us. So... It's it's good to see it's being backpedaled already, but 
So I don't think it's actually going to happen or go through, but boy, what a, what a 24 hour cycle that was. Yeah. I can't tell whether that was like a test balloon where they put it out just to see people's reactions, or I think more likely what you mentioned, Brad, it was just some like negotiating power move where, um, it's the minister for sport said, like she brought this up before everyone shot it down and she's like, well, I'll put it out in the media. And then it's like, she leaked it to Sportsnet. They reported and then, uh, everyone came back and just completely destroyed it to the point where Doug Ford felt that he had to step in and try to stay safe face. Either way, it's just stupid all around. Um, everyone wants to see hockey back. Everyone wants to see it back safely though. I don't understand. And, and I say this again in the interview later, imagine finding the only solution that is stupid in both directions. Honestly. So as you already mentioned, there's infinity ways to contract the virus while playing hockey from your own team or from the opponent. It doesn't matter. Qu- quite frankly, you can't play hockey without getting close enough. So if the OHL and the Ministry of Sport wants to nip this in the bud, most of the funding and protocols and precautions they need to dump in have to happen before these kids even walk into the arena. That's the reality of it. Because once they're there, there's not much of a hope. Like... For example, my my stupid beer league that I play in that's non-contact and non-contact hockey can be fun, but I'll get into that after. They changed fundamentally how the game is played. We are not allowed to sit close to each other on the bench. They abolished face-off so that you don't you're not bending over right in front of your opponent. Um there's regroup rules and stuff like that. And it's non-contact to begin with. I've played two games so far. I'm I'm still bumping into players. Like there's no way to play hockey without getting near your opponents. It's just not possible. Um, But in regards to body checking specifically, it listen, I'm not going to sit here and say hockey needs body checking to be fun. I would watch the hell out of hockey without body checking. I watch women's hockey all the time. There's no body checking. It's still a fun, entertaining product. That's not the concern here for those people who are arguing that point. The concern is these are developing players who have career aspirations in the game of hockey. So you can say what you want about a 17-year-old kid in his draft year for the NHL going out and playing non-contact hockey, showcasing his skill. That's fair. But playing a full year of non-contact hockey is not the sport a one-to-one equivalent of the sport he's about to get drafted in so the teams aren't going to properly evaluate him bad habits will creep into these players game because you know if you're a five foot eight high skill forward in a non-contact hockey skating into traffic in the offensive zone with the puck is not even a concern in your head why not why wouldn't i idiots do it in beer league all the time and a lot of the time it works but it doesn't work in the nhl or the ohl because if you do that they're going to knock your head off so you, it, it's not a one-to-one equivalent. So A, they're not going to be properly scouted and B, they're going to develop bad habits, which means when they go back into hitting the following year, there will be a lot of injuries. So entertaining or not, you, you need it. It has to be a one-to-one equivalency for the career path you're taking. Yeah. Back in the day, um, we had a tournament in, um, Lake Placid, uh, it was the, the Can-Am tournament we knew going in that we weren't playing like our, our playoffs in Ontario were um, better competition by a substantial margin. So long, Evan, 
It's not often that Evan actually just walks away. Most, mostly he just mentally leaves, but this time he physically walked away. Uh, yeah, we knew going into the tournament that we weren't playing the same level of competition, but they were still supposed to be good teams. Um, and then we found out before our first game that this tournament, or at least like an exhibition game, I can't remember what the de- details were, but we found out late that we were playing a team that came from a no-hitting league. And I had never heard of a like double A, triple A level team at no, it wasn't triple A, uh, but that level team playing in a no hitting league, especially at our age, like we were like 16, 17 years old. And we heard that and we were like, okay, so we just don't hit. We're like, yeah, we can't hit at least for this game. And these kids were just like head down, stepping into the middle of the ice, like trying all these intricate dangles. And like some of them would work because like our guys have never, when you play hockey, you if you grow up body checking, you don't know how to defend without some kind of physical contact. And you don't know what you're going to be called for. Like you don't have that. And so eventually I, I was one of the assholes who did this. And I actually, you know, looking back, it was a dick move because these kids were expecting not to be hit. But after the fourth or fifth time, the next time I saw a kid just head down and start to like dance and dangle like horizontally across the offensive zone, like my defensive zone, I just put my shoulder into his chest. Like you just drilled him because it's not like you don't develop good habits. And I'm just thinking like that kid, if he ever wanted to play in a league with hitting and tried to make that transition, the first thing he was going to try to do was what he did in that game, which is just head down, dangle, imagine that you have space where in reality you don't, like you, all those things that you just talked about, Brad, and you're going to get drilled. If you watch women's hockey, they started like this from the beginning. They know how to play with it. It is a different kind of hockey, but that's how they grew into the game, and that's what they can expect to develop into. There's no step where all of a sudden body checking is going to come in, and they're just going to get demolished. That's not the reality. It is modeled after what happens when they reach the highest levels of women's hockey. For men, I, I if there was a Red Wings prospect playing in the OHL and it was no hitting, I would, I would consider it a wasted year for their development, 100%. It absolutely would be because, again, it's not the same game. With hitting, uh, the game's faster because say what you want, fear is a hell of a motivator. Like, you know, uh, my season got shut down this year, but I played in a contact league last year. Uh, ironically, not how my shoulder got dislocated, but either way, um, you go into a corner and you're at a bad angle, you're going to make a play fast because you don't know. You can't cover 360 degrees to know where your opponent's coming from. I have, I can see my plane of vision. I can turn my head. But if I'm coming in, like I said, on an odd angle, I don't know if there's a guy chasing me. And if I turn around to see if a guy's chasing me, another dude from the other angle could step up on me that way. So it's just, okay, there's the puck. Find my OLEDs, make the play. It's it's faster hockey. Um, and again, there different lanes open up. The way a defenseman plays a one-on-one is different because then, you know, not everybody's Nick Lidstrom. You can't just come in and see a Pavel Bure coming down on you and expect to be able to lift his stick, take the puck and go. No, most defensemen are going to play the physical on that because they know skill-wise they're not going to match the forward coming in on them. So thankfully, the Red Wings don't have a ton of players who are scheduled to play in the OHL this year. I think it's just Albin Greva and Donovan Sabrango. I'm probably forgetting one. Um, but yeah, if... If I was Steve Eisman right now and the OHL implemented the rule, I am negotiating as many contracts for them in Europe as I can immediately. Well, we do talk to Tony about this a little bit more. We recorded the interview before more news came out, so it might sound a little bit outdated. Uh, But the important part of that interview is everything that we talked about regarding the previous draft and the upcoming draft. So uh, without further ado, 
tune into um, our interview with Tony Ferrari of Dauber Prospects. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, a uh, special interview with none other than Tony Ferrari of Dauber's, uh, Dauber Prospects. Tony, uh, that's the second time I tried the intro, so I'm just going to roll with it. Tony's the head of North American Scouting uh, at Dauber Prospects and a co-host of the Dauber Draftcast. Draft Tony, thank you for joining us, and please save me from this horrendous intro. Yeah, you didn't need to say any of that. You could have just said Tony's here. That's fine. I, I was Tony's here. That. <laughs> As you suggested, not Evan is here. Yeah uh evan was planning on joining us and then uh something came up at work so we couldn't make it at home in time and so i got on the call or in the uh the recording room with virtual room with tony i was like hey by the way evan's not going to make it and tony goes yeah i wasn't really expecting him to (laughs) i mean it's it's really not that cold out so he's probably out golfing that's what came up i get it i would love to say you're wrong but i'm convinced that that's the case no, you guys are, uh, you don't think that he's just on his front lawn into that uh, driving net he got early in the quarantine? How many balls do you think he's put through his front window because of that thing? Probably more through his neighbor's front window because that's just the type of person Evan is. <laughs> yeah, he just has it aimed at the other house so his doesn't get damaged. <laughs> the driving net is between him and the road. Yeah. So Tony is here today to talk to us uh, about all things NHL draft, not just 2020, but also next year's draft as well. Um, it's a conversation we've been looking forward to uh, for some time and uh, truly one of my favorite uh, draft people to talk to in general because Tony is from uh, the, my beautiful hometown of Windsor, Ontario. Um, it's funny talking to uh, a couple of meatheads not from Windsor all the time and then talking to Tony. I'm like, oh, wow, we actually do have an accent because I picked up even if I didn't know he was from Windsor, I could pick it up right away. Yeah, I mean, I just got that beautiful Windsor accent with our beautiful town of our Malden Hill dump park, and it's just a beautiful place. It's a, it's a mix of smog and tired. Mm, uh, okay. Little Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> smog in Detroit. Ryan, I feel attacked. I'm not even from Windsor. <laughs> We're going to start with the draft before I bring this even uh, more off the rails. Uh, so the 2020 NHL draft was nearly a month ago now. Um, obviously, the Red Wings were a huge part of that storyline. And uh, with the pick of Lucas Raymond fourth overall, that was a, a pretty exciting time for most people, especially all of us on the show who wanted Lucas Raymond uh, among all likely um, candidates who are going to be available to them there. Uh, Tony, you have a special little claim to uh, uh, fame here, at least being able to brag. You ranked Lucas Raymond third on your list. So talk to us a little bit about why you had him uh, at third and uh, how you felt after the Red Wings drafted him. Well, I had him at third in October and he was there the entire year. He's just, to me, he was the clear cut third best player in this draft. Like I, I was a big Stutzel fan. I had him in my top five pretty much before anyone uh, I want to say I had him at six in October. So like I was super high on him going into the year and it just never really got close for me. I think Lucas Raymond's able to do so much at both ends of the ice. I mean, we saw the goal the other day where he stripped a guy trying to make a, a zone exit and just walked into the goalie, danced him and scored. So like, he's just so immensely talented. He can drive the line from the wing and that's, that's a special talent. Like there's not many wingers in the NHL. that can truly do that. And I think there was two in this draft that could do that. And that was Lafreniere and Lucas Raymond. So you mentioned the strip steal and goal. So please tell us in excruciating detail how Pavel Datsuk is exactly what Lucas Raymond will become. 
I mean, they're probably that, but like a heart trophy tour win or whatever, you know, like don't get the hype too crazy. But no, honestly, like this kid, he's a really good two way player. Like, I think he's going to be able to have that defensive impact that a guy like Mark Stone has, or maybe it's not quite the the level of Pavel Datsuk because the dude's a legend. And I think you guys in Detroit all know that better than anyone. But uh, I think Lucas Raymond is going to be the best player on Detroit for for a while. So unless they get a guy like Shane Wright, I think he's going to be their best player in two to three years, and then it's going to be that way for a decade. So I'm going to grill you on some specifics here, because obviously we paid a lot of attention to him last year. And then once he got drafted by Detroit, of course, we've been hyper-focused on his game with Ferlunda this year. Two things have stuck out to me so far um, this season, on top of the fact that he's just really damn good. I wouldn't say his shot was a weakness, Last year, I would say his shot was eh, average to slightly above average, but there's been a lot of uh, talk about how he worked on his shooting mechanics, specifically his footwork over the summer. And given that last year, he was primarily a playmaker. Then he comes out this season, his shot looks greatly improved to the point where it's one of the strengths of his game so far. And instead of going primary playmaker he's going for the Cy Young he's got five goals and two assists so far this season so what have you made of that thus far well I think the the thing with Lucas Raymond is I don't think his shot was ever bad really like I I really liked his shot off the rush last year and in going into his draft year even I thought he was a really good shooter off the rush where it kind of became an issue was when he was at a standstill and he wasn't able to really be that guy that sits sits in the half wall and just fires the puck because he didn't have that momentum and the strength to get behind it. And now he's a little bit bigger. And like you said, he's worked on his mechanics a little bit and he's shooting all over the place all the time. And he, he it's improved in every area. So where he was already a pretty good shooter off the rush and, and stuff like that, he's improved even on that. And now he's able to stand in the face of dot and fire the puck. But I think the thing with him is like, when he's coming down off the rush, he didn't get that chance very often last year because he was playing fourth line minutes and he was playing 13th forward minutes. So when you're playing with fourth line guys, you're not getting many end to end rush chances. So unless he was the one creating the play right from the defensive zone, he wasn't getting that chance to to kind of showcase that shot off the rush. So I think the shot, at least off the rush, was always there. The added strength and stuff that he's clearly put on. We've seen it in every facet of his game so far this year is just a another kind of t- tick to add up to the shot. Yeah. And again, couple that with the fact that. <sighs> Do you find that, I don't even know how to word this, that he's looking for the shot more this year? Because again, his assist totals being way lower than his goals. I mean, it's five to two. It's not like it's a huge sample size at this point, but I, I do find that odd for Raymond, given that his entire career up to this point, he seems to be the pass first guy. Do you think there's been maybe a slight mentality shift there, or is that just a product of who he's playing with? I think it's it's a little bit of both. It's a product of who he's playing with because he's playing a little bit higher up in the lineup with more skilled guys. And a lot of the European guys are primarily playmakers. So he's getting the chance to showcase that shot. But I think it's also just an added confidence to his game. Like he, he was drafted third overall. He went into the year expecting to be in that top three and kind of he was drafted fourth overall sorry so he he kind of had that chip on his shoulder that he wasn't in the top three and and going to a team like Detroit he knows he's going to be one of the best players on that team if he kind of showcases what he has and he's done that this year so I think he's just going to be a guy that continues to improve and, and this year has been a blast watching him oh you're telling us we actually cheer for the Red Wings so it's been uh I mean the SHL aka Red Wings development camp has just been a tremendous 
tremendously entertaining thing this year. One thing I want to, one guy I want to talk to you about though, because I could go on about Lucas Raymond for literally days. And actually, if you add up all the podcasts that we did since the COVID shutdown, I've probably talked for Lucas Raymond for 24 hours at least. Um, Theodore Niederbach, because he's an interesting case because of the year he missed due to the injury. The fact that he's still playing in the junior league, despite being this, his draft plus one year, but he's absolutely torching it so i've made the point well yeah this is his draft plus one year but he lost a full year so is it really so given his absolute dominance at a lower level what should we make of niederbach to this point well i think what you make of him is is kind of what you've been talking about brad like he did lose that year so you can kind of look at this as a as a year earlier in his development curve and he's Basically, it's just you got to look at it. He's going to be a year later arriving when you expected him to. So instead of being there at 22, he's going to be there at 23 or, or 21 instead of or 22 instead of 21. Um, but the kid's got skill. Like there's there's no doubt about it. He's he's a really really good player. He's a, plays a bit of a power forwards game, but he's showing a lot of touch on his passing this year, and that's the area I felt he's he's improved the most. He's really kind of seeing through the layers of the defense and making the passes and making the plays in the offensive zone. Um, I still think he's he's probably just way too good for the for the J20 national this year. He's the the, the new super elite name, and he's he's just I, he's not going to get a chance on Forlunda, at least not an extended look because that team's always loaded. They've always got a really good team. Even Lucas Raymond now, like he's still not playing for second line minutes. Like a lot of nights, he's still getting third line minutes if you exclude the power play. So. Getting Theodore Niederbach up there and, and playing those games, it's probably not going to happen in any extended period of time, but I would like to see him get up there and play against men because like he has 33 points in 17 games so far. Like he's just absolutely dominating the league. There, he's the best player in the league by far at this point. And it's just kind of a, an awkward situation. So unless he gets to a different organization or he gets loaned out to an Elsvenskan team, maybe I think he's probably just going to tear up the, the Swedish junior league and it's going to be fun to watch. So we've been a bit unfair to you because you're the head North American scout for Dauber prospects. And we've asked you about two European prospects. So, um, I, I'm hoping y- you did Yoki proud, but, uh, probably not. He's never proud of me. <laughs> that's fair. Now, you know how I feel on our podcast. Yeah. I'm uh, never proud of Brad. Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ask you about the next two picks the Red Wings made before we get into some more grandiose topics, because the next two are a little more in your region. Cross Hannes, who is playing for the Portland Winterhawks and Donovan Zabrango, who plays locally here for the Kitchener Rangers and actually just got an invite to Team Canada's National Devel- Junior Development Camp. So what did you make of those picks? Because depending what section of Twitter I was reading, it was people either loved those picks or hated them. And there didn't seem to be a ton of middle ground. I, I like the players. I don't like where they're picked. I think they probably both could have been picked 30 spots, maybe later, and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But for Cross Hannis, like, I, I really like this kid. He was a guy I kind of got turned on to, and I, I toyed with him in and out of my top 100 all year. And he was just a guy that you could tell he was playing the game the right way. Like, his feet need to catch up, and he needs to get a little bit more kind of pop in his step. But overall, I think the skill set's there. Like, he can be an NHL player. I don't think it's... It's outlandish to think he can he can take those strides. I mean, no pun intended, but and actually become a better skater. Um, as for Donovan Sabrango, I this was a kid I was up and down on all year. He he's got the skill. He's he's a good skater and a, a pretty good puck mover from the back end. But there were times where like it just looked like he wasn't fully engaged or he was getting a little lost when the game got a little bit fast around him. I, I think it's a good pick overall. Like if 
telling me that he's a Detroit Red Wings prospect, I go, okay, so that's a good prospect they have in their system. Like, I don't have any doubts about either of those two guys in that sense. Maybe they spent a little bit higher draft capital than I would have personally liked. But overall, I think both of those are, are good players. And I mean, we see players that other teams chose, and I'd take these guys over a lot of them. So <clears throat> at least you're not Ottawa trading up to grab Tyler Clevin. Always got to look on the bright side of things. It's one thing if your team drafts well, poorly, middle of the road. But when a division rival just absolutely nukes their own draft, which is a cornerstone draft, it's it's just fantastic. And oh, you're man. a Leafs fan, so that worked for you too. Yeah, that Ottawa draft was so just... I love Stutzel. He's my favorite player in the draft. I, like He was one of my favorite guys to watch all year last year. So that pick was fine. Like I was fine with them taking him at third. Sanderson was a little high, but I could justify it. And then things just went off the rail for them. Like Ridley Gregg, okay, sure. Tyler Clevin trading up. Yeah, I'll take Topi Nimala and Ronnie Hervinen as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. That's fine with me. But yeah, like if I were to... Com- Despite the fact that Ottawa had so many more picks and so many more higher value picks, Detroit blew them out of the water with what they got in the draft. This pleases me. This pleases me greatly. It's not enough that we should succeed. Others should fail. Um, I got no good transition here, so I'm just going to go into the big grandiose topic that kind of broke on Twitter today. And um, apparently Ontario's Minister of Sports never watched hockey before. Um, it's Drager's reporting. It's not confirmed, but I don't know. Everything's chaos. What happens to the OHL if they actually move forward with no body checking this year in terms of scouting? They they don't play. Honestly, like I, I've reached out to a couple people that I have in the OHL circles and I had, I had one OHL owner t- tell me directly, like if, if they play without body checking, he'll eat his own underwear. Like it's not something that he thinks is going to happen. Like as much as the, the minister keeps saying it, he thinks like a lot of people in the league think it's it's going to be one of those things where the the NHL or the OHL steps in and, and they go, hey, Doug Ford, help us out. You're you're a fan. We're friends. Like let's let's do each other a solid, and they're going to work something out. Um, they've got until February. Like they're not playing tomorrow or anything. So I don't think it's it's too much. And and the way it was reported was a little funny because when they came out and reported at Sportsnet today, they were like, oh yeah, it's this thing in the OHL. They're not going to allow body checking. Well, really, all that was said was the the. Ontario uh, sports minister came out and said that she still has the stance of not having body checking when they resume play, but nothing set in stone. Like even David branch was on the OHL commissioner was on Sportsnet today. And he even said, he's like, we haven't even started considering changing any of the, le- the rules in the game. Um, the gameplay is still going to be what the gameplay is. We're not changing anything as of right now. And once they, we can see a, a study that shows that body checking has a significant impact, then maybe we'll consider it. But he, he didn't seem really too, too intrigued with uh, playing without body checking. But I love talking about chaos. So I'm going to go with the hypothetical that it happens. Just, just humor me here. So let's put you in the shoes. You are a 17 year old OHL player going into his draft minus one season. You find out there's no body checking in the OHL. Are you booking your flight to Europe that day or what approach do you take? Yeah, if I'm Brant Clark, I, I call up Carson Lambos and see if they've got some t- some room on that uh, junior team he just joined in Finland. Like, there's no way I'm playing in the OHL this year if they if they allow no body checking, especially if I'm either a, a highly touted prospect, like if I'm Shane Wright, if like he's not even drafted for two more years. So it, even if I'm him, I'm taking that and I'm leaving. Like if I'm any prospect of significance, I'm leaving. Like it's going to be the OJHL playing in the OHL next year if that's the case because. You can't take these kids in into a league and let them play a year without body checking 
because some of these highly skilled guys, some of these smaller guys are going to develop really bad habits that aren't going to be beneficial for them in the future. And then they're going to play in the AHL next year or something. Yeah. Like Brad's going to end up playing in the AHL next year and he's going to get his head taken off. Cause he had one good year in the OHL where he was able to score. Cause all four, five foot four of them was able to get right to the middle of the ice with no problem. Yes. So yes. It's, it's going to be awful. Honestly, like I, I'm not the COVID like anti-masker guy. Like I'm full, put your mask on, do your thing. I'm not like, anything of that i'm not even mr punchy physical guy where, where i'm like you need punching and fighting in the ohl like no like i'm totally a skill focused guy but you can't take physicality out of the game because these kids are gonna get murdered next year uh, i'm gonna take this chance here because you mentioned a couple guys that are uh, pretty notable names uh brant clark and carson lambos and those are names that uh the listeners are going to become familiar with over the next year or so uh, well maybe six seven months who knows when the next draft will be um but those are some of the premier names at the top of the 2021 nhl draft list now i know not dauber prospects is coming out with uh, your rankings later next week but uh we want to poke your brain and see what we can squeeze out of you a bit early um this is a wide open year so talk to us a little bit of uh about what it looks like at first overall for the 2021 draft and who the red wings might be able to target when they get pushed down uh to four five or six it's gonna be a weird year man like i've never seen a draft with this wide open at the top like i'm doing a series on dauber prospects right now where i'm I'm doing four days of three prospects in each grouping and and there's legitimately 12 guys that i can make a legitimate argument for going first overall next year like it, it some of them are longer shots. Like I, I included Jesper Wallstedt, the goalie in there and a guy like Zachary LaRue, who's, who's just had a really hot start in the QMJHL this year. And, and then there's guys that I left off, like Fabian Lucell, who's a really high skill forward playing with Theodore Niederbach and for London's J20 team. So there's all sorts of talent at the top of the draft. And like, there's so many good defensemen next year. Like there's a lot of people that have said next year's draft isn't a good draft. And while it may not have that, uh, Quentin Byfield, Alexis Lafreniere, Jack Hughes. They've got a Brant Clark. They've got a, a Carson Lambos and Simone Edvinson. Some of these guys, some of these defenders who are going to be number one defenders at the NHL level. And like, because they're not guys that are going to put up 80, 90 points at the NHL level, like a guy like Lucas Raymond or Quentin, Quentin Byfield, they're not getting the same hype, but these guys are just as equivalent of stars at, 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 on the back end. Now, obviously you're, way better connected in the scouting community than we are and i've read just about every preliminary ranking i could find for the 21 draft right now it is insane to me the variables i'm seeing on where guys are ranked i've seen brant clark i think as high as number two and as low as i want to say 14 on on some lists is it is it really truly that wide open based on the people you've been talking to? Cause like, you know, I, I personally am a huge Brant, Brant Clark fan. I watch him and I go, he's a top five on my list all day. And then I see multiple people have him way behind where I do. Is it truly going to be this much of a scattershot when we get to draft day? I, I think by the time we get to draft day, we'll have it narrowed down to even if it's three, four, five guys, but. Right now, like, I think there's a legitimate case to, to maybe even grab 10, 10 guys and, and kind of talk about them for first overall. Like, it's, it's a, it's going to be a year where I think whoever goes, gets that first overall pick, whether it's Detroit or Ottawa or LA or maybe Toronto tanks and they just have a terrible year because they're Toronto and that's what we do. But whoever has that first overall pick, they're going to go on a stylistic choice. It's going to be, 
do they want the high skilled defenseman who can just blow the doors off offensively and in Brant Clark, or do they want the more complete, mature, ready to step into the NHL Carson Lambos, or maybe they really want a center and they go with Atu Ratu from uh, the from Finland. It's really going to depend on who's up top as to who goes first overall this year. I think. Okay, I've got a terrific question that I'm sure will make you do way too much thinking. So Red Wings fans, given that we just drafted Lucas Raymond, we're going to be hyper-focused on defensemen for this draft, rightly or wrongly, no matter how we feel about Atu Ratu or Kent Johnson or Chaz Lucius. I know this fan base well, and I know how we're going to react this season. So I'm going to ask you for three criteria here. If the Red Wings, tell the Red Wings fan if they want the all-out offensive defenseman the, the premier point scoring defenseman in this draft, who should they pick? If they want the new school mold of a Miro Haskinen, good at everything, not flashy, but you just know they're going to make an impact. Who's that going to be? And who's the top defenseman that fits the mean, big, but still skilled, we'll call it the Mo Sider mold. So if you had three guys to put at the top of those categories, who would they be? So if I'm going with the all-out offensive guy, I think I got to go with Brant Clark. He's got so much skill, and there's still so much to untapped potential with him. Like I think we've seen it last year when when Warren Reichel was fired and Barry and the coaching change happened there. He he went from a guy that wasn't even producing at a half point per game to producing over a point a game. Like once this kid was kind of given the reins and let run, he was a horse for that team, and and that's just what he's going to be. He's going to be that offensive play driving guy. Like I think he's got a real shot at being a number one defenseman in the NHL. Um, for me, he's, uh, he's one of those guys that kind of separates himself a little bit at the top of that group. And he's probably a top three pick for me. Um, if we're going to go with the big mean guy, kind of that more outsider mold, um, I'm probably going to go with Carson Lambos. He's, he's my favorite personally out of the group. I think he just does everything. Well, there's nothing he does at a average or even above average level. He does everything at a great level. Um, he may not be truly elite. Like he's not, he doesn't have the same offensive puck skills or dynamism that Brant Clark plays. But if you were to take him and put him on an NHL blue line today as a 17-year-old before he has his draft year, I'd say he'd at least be a capable guy. Like, he'd be Detroit's number three defenseman next year. Like, he's that good already. Um, the, the offensive ceiling with him maybe isn't cr- as crazy high or anything, but he's a guy that produced at almost a point per game as a 16-year-old who stepped in as the number one defenseman on the Winnipeg Ice from day one. Like, he was playing 22 minutes a night at least – back in October last year. So this kid's a, a guy that's just an absolute horse in the back end. Um, I think he's, he's, he's my choice right now for number one, but like I said, everything's so close to the top. And if we're going to go with that other guy, kind of the, the little bit of a mix in between the two, I, I think you have two guys there and they play a little bit differently. And it's Owen power and Simon Edmondson. I think Owen power is a guy that he's got that size, that projectability. He's, he's really good skater. He's got some offensive skill, but I do have some concerns about him defensively. Like there, there's some issues with his game um, that he didn't really have to worry about last year because he played on that loaded Chicago Steel team. And Simon Edvinson has a lot of the same issues. The, um, they, their, their biggest issue, in my opinion, is transition defense. Um, sometimes they like to get a little bit too aggressive and let that outside winger blow by them and stuff like that. But both of them have a ton of puck skills. Both of them are really good skaters. Simon Edmondson might be one of the best skaters in the entire draft as a six, four defenseman. So he's a guy that I keep my eye on as well. And like th- that four, that big group of four right there for me is, is the kind of the group that also kind of separated themselves at the top. All right. And just because I, I need to balance everything out here and, uh, remind Red Wings fans that. 
there are good forwards in this draft. So let's talk about them a little bit so we don't pigeonhole ourselves. So obviously Atu Ratu's been at the top for a while now, debatably so, but he's the guy that at least in the rankings I've seen drops at number one the most often. Tell us about what you see as his NHL projectability and then give us one or two names behind him that you think should be in the conversation with him for top forward in the draft. Atu Ratu is a bit of a weird prospect to kind of evaluate because I, I like to say he's Anton Lundell plus and minus because he's a little bit better offensively than Anton Lundell, but he's a little bit worse defensively. But they both play that mature style of game. Um, I think with Ratu, for me, he's dropped down my board quite considerably, especially watching him this year. He hasn't been very good. Um, and he, to be honest, he wasn't really that good last year either. He, he's kind of riding the coattails of his D minus two season where he absolutely tore up finished junior hockey as a 15 year old or 16 year old. And he was just so good. He's also older for this draft class. So you kind of expect him to be able to put up big numbers. Um, he was older than Akako was during his draft year, older than I think he's as old as Lundell was basically in his draft year. And Lundell was a lot better offensively at this point in his draft season. So even kind of talking about those two in comparison i i lean towards he's he's a bit like an anton lindell and, and i'm a big fan of anton lindell like he, he's had a great start to this year but with ratu there's been kind of some motor issues there's been a, a, a he doesn't seem engaged at the junior level and i know yoki's talked to him a few times and he's not super happy about playing at the junior level and he's done he's split his time this year pretty evenly so um maybe if he gets some more chances at the the legal level he'll kind of let a fire under him and he'll get going but uh, for me, he's fallen back, and I, to to me right now, the top forward is probably Kent Johnson. He's going to the University of Michigan next year. Uh, he played in the BCHL last year, and I'm always super super reserved about junior A guys. I think it's it's kind of crazy to overhype them, but this is what a kid that put up numbers similar to Alex Newhook's draft year in his draft minus one. Like this kid's really really good, and we had him at I think nine or ten on our initial rankings in the summer, and. The more and more tape I watch of him, I just go, that was a mistake. Like, this kid needs to be way higher. Like, he's got so much skill. His And he's got a bit of a, a, a weird kind of patience to his game where he's not the fastest guy. He's a good skater. He's a fluid skater. No issues technically, really. But he's not the fastest guy. And he doesn't really motor around the ice like you'd expect him to. But he's anticipates play. He, he's got so much deception on his stick. Like, just little movements of his stick. He's opening his fa- uh, the blade of his stick up and kind of draws the defender to the outside before effortlessly pulling the puck inside and t- getting a shot off from in tight. Like he can shoot from any shooting position. It's really, really unique. Almost that Austin Matthews level, like ability to shoot doesn't have the same shot that Austin Matthews has, but the ability to shoot kind of from whether it's in his feet on his backhand, anywhere he can get a shot off. And the other guy is, is Chaz Lucius, who I think is a ton of fun. He's got so much skill. Um, he ignores the play defensively from time to time, but he's got, so much skill and this kid's shot is ridiculous like he scores from the from the goal line regularly um there was a play where he got in tight on a goalie last year put the puck through his own legs and then pulled the puck back as it like he was going to go for like the matthew kachuk tweener goal and then deked himself back out to have the puck on his backhand and just slowly tuck the puck in behind the goalie and that was an overtime like this kid has ice in his veins he's so so talented offensively i love this kid he's a little greedy with the puck like he doesn't like passing all the time and there's been more than one time where i'm like oh you had the open pass and he shoots and i'm like okay well he scored so it's fine but like this kid's got a ton of offensive talent and he plays for the usntb ntdb team that and they've just got a ton of talent on uh, as a team more impressive goal for you 
Chaz Lucius's through the legs, just kidding, or Kent Johnson receiving a pass into a lacrosse goal? Oh, that goal is just so dirty. Yeah, it's the Kent Johnson one because it was it. He didn't need to pick the puck up like it just happened. The puck was on his stick and it was in the air. He didn't need to do the kind of like scoop like everyone else has done or anything like that. Like he just received the pass on his stick and he put it in the top of the net. And he did that twice last year. And both of them were almost identical. Like he doesn't need time to pull off a a Michigan goal like that. And he's going to go to Michigan next year. And I just want him to pull it off in the Michigan uniform just to just to rename the goal in Michigan. Michigan uh, Detroit hockey Twitter will melt down if a kid from Michigan pulls the Michigan when you posted that video of his goal that goal on your timeline and I saw that I'm like nobody is going to be able to talk me out of saying this kid is the most skilled kid in the draft because that is ridiculous the level of a skill and b control with your skill, you have to have to do that. Like to lift the puck up, whether you do it the Svechnikov style or the traditional Michigan style. I mean, any idiot beer leaguer with an hour on the ice can figure out how to do it, but to do it off a pass in one motion is staggering to me. Absolutely staggering. And that's just been the thing. The more I watch his game, like the ridiculous amount of control he has in every aspect, whether it's his body control, like I've seen him make a pass as he's getting hammered against the boards and he does it like his upper body is not being hit. It's just his lower body being hit. He he has like an unbelievable ability to just reach around defenders and, and make a pass or make take a shot. I sh- I seen him shoot from in a defender's skates like recently. Like he's got so much skill and body control. I think this kid has a real shot to be the top forward in the draft, and I won't be shocked if he's the number one pick. Uh, a question for you here, and this is uh, going back to your comment on uh, picks being stylistic based on how wide open this draft is. Uh, let's imagine. Meteor hits Earth, something floats through the air, it changes fortunes for everyone, and Detroit, through that, gets the first overall pick somehow. Um, they get the first overall pick, and over the course of the year, Brant Clark does turn out to be this dominant, you know, offensive powerhouse, clearly the best defenseman in the draft, maybe the best player in the draft, but not by a lot. Like, let's say Edvinson's right there, let's say Power's right there, you can make a case for them, Kent Johnson's there. He's the he's the consensus, but not by much. Um, think like how Heeshear and Patrick were were leveled against each other in their year. Detroit has a lot of talent. I mean, relatively a lot of talent on the right side between Moritz Sider and Philip Ronick. But you like Brent Brant Clark the most. What do you do as Steve Eisman with the first overall pick? If I'm Steve Eisman, it depends on how Carson Lambos year goes. To be completely honest, that's the guy that I, I peg as the most fit for Detroit because I think he's more at Cider plus like I think he's more Cider defensively and then he's got a another gear offensively like I think more Cider is a really good offensive player like uh, in his draft year I remember I, I reached out to his coach and, and Adler Mannheim and I was like hey what's going on with this kid's offense like because before that he'd been an offensive player and he's like oh well we just asked him to play defense so like I, I wrote that in the deep dive that I did on him and and then so I kind of took that in under faith and I was like man like if this kid's got the offense that I think he does because he showed flashes of it in his draft year. And I watched a lot of German hockey that year just to see it. But like, if, if he shows it, then he's going to be a really good offensive player. And, and we've seen it now. Like we've seen him make good, like excellent passes with Rogla in the SHL now. And, and he's doing, he scored a goal the other day and just that ability to kind of drive offense without being flashy is, is really prominent with him. And, and I think Carson Lambos has that plus like he, he, Carson Lambos is a really powerful skater. Like I've kind of like not, said it too much but he has that kale mccarr-esque skating to him uh he doesn't have the same 
upper echelon like dynamism that Makar has because Makar is a special player but that powerful stride where he's like a, a running back in the NFL running downhill at you it's just impossible to stop and you you get intimidated you get back on your heels and then he's blowing by you or he's just going through you uh Carson Lambos has that ability so for me right now it's between Carson Lambos and, and Brant, Brant Clark at the number one pick for me and uh if I'm Detroit I probably lean Lambos because not only do you have that lo- that really strong right side but I think Lambos has the the chance to be that overall defenseman where maybe he's he scores 10 less 15 less points than Brant Clark but he's so good defensively that it really does make up for it and I'm not a guy that really banks on defense because I, I'd rather just see goals all day so I'll just transition to one final question here that's uh, extremely unfair, extremely speculative, and it's just going to piss Red Wings fans off. So the one, I don't know what to call it, conspiracy theory that I've thrown out on the podcast is that because this is the draft where there's no consensus number one, this will be the year the re- the legal throw the Red Wings a bone, give us the draft lottery win, and yeah, then change... Set. Yeah. And is then that where you're going? No, 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 no. Oh. And then they're going to change the rules after. So the Red Wings can't win the draft lottery. So this will be the year they implement the like limit on number one overall picks. And then after this, we have Shane Wright, Matt Savoy, uh, Matt Vay Mitchkov, Berard, all these Connor Berard, uh, Bedard, sorry, up and coming ones. If we're looking past 2021, are these is this group of four kids truly as special as they're made out to be? Or do you find that it's just so far out, the hype's getting a little crazy too early? Well, right now I'd say Shane Wright definitely is. I think Shane Wright could maybe be in that almost McDavid level prospect. Like I don't want to put him in that level, but he is so good. Like I did a piece on him last year where I kind of compared him to uh, John Tavares is exceptional status season because John Tavares had the highest scoring season and, and Brant Clark matched or sorry, not Brant Clark. Um, Shane Wright matched uh, Connor McDavid's totals in less games and he was on pace to match John Tavares. So I think he's one of these really, really high end players. And the thing with Shane Wright is he's already better than both of those guys defensively at that at this stage. Like, I don't think either of them were good, as good defensively, even in their last years in junior hockey as, as Shane Wright is now. And he played last year as a 15-year-old. I think Shane Wright's going to be a really special player. As for Mitch Gov and Bedard and those guys, like I think Matthew Savoy is probably a step back. Um, Matt Van Mitchkov, I think, has that chance, though. Matt Van Mitchkov is a really, really special player. And with Connor Bedard, we just haven't seen as much of him. Um, I think he's going to be really good. Like I, What I've seen from him playing with HV71 uh, U20 team in uh, the, the Super Elite, he, he's been really good. He There's no doubt about it. He's a talented, talented player. I want to see it over a little bit more time. And, and with Matt Vay-Mitchkov, he was on a heater like a couple of weeks ago and he was just on a heater for two weeks and it was just blowing it up and he's still producing. He's still playing really, really well, but I think he's starting to kind of settle in a, into the league there and, and play in the MHL. Um, he's not even eligible to go up to the K or the KHL. Like I, I know a lot of people, including myself kind of wanted to see it just to get, just to see where he's at. But um, I think all three of those guys are special, but if I'm putting any guy at the top of that list, it's Shane, right? Like that kid's got a lot, a lot of talent in his game. Okay. Just because you brought it up, uh, before I got into that question. All right. Yes. For Wallstead. If the Red Wings are picking six, like they probably will. Yes or no. Yes. Oh, I am so on board with Jesper Wallstedt. I love this kid's game. I've liked this game for a couple years now. Um, we have a goalie scout now over at Dauber Prospects, Danny Tiffany. And I've talked to him a ton about Jesper Wallstedt because I, I've 
just I was on the Ask Rock train last year. Like I, I went on Nashville radio and I got destroyed by some of their fans after my call because I was like, no, they're drafting Askarov. Like it was a month before the draft and I was like, that's the guy they're drafting. It makes all the sense in the world. And they were like, ooh, Pekarene. And I'm like, Askarov's better. Um, and now this year I'm going to be on the same boat with, with Jesper Wallstead. Like this kid's got so much talent, but he's almost the Amir Askarov. Askarov played the game on athleticism, on, on being just a better athlete than you. And he was just out athletic, uh, out athleting you. Whereas Jesper Wallstead has athleticism. There's no doubt about that, but he is an extremely technically sound goaltender. Um, I think he might be the most consistent one over year over year, but Yaroslav Askarov might have the the higher kind of peaks in his in his career, but I could see him having kind of seasons like kind of Sergei Bobrovsky, where it's just a year he just plays like crap, and that's just what happened that year. But he's still a top five goaltender because the two years around that he won the Vesna. Um, whereas I think Jesper Wallstedt could be that Henrik Lundqvist, where he maybe only wins a couple Vesnas or wins one Vesna, and he's just steady for ten years, and you don't have to worry about your goaltending in any of those years. And I really like Jesper Wallstedt, so. For me, especially with it being wide open, like I included him in that the contender series where I, I kind of profiled a bunch of number one options, and he's he's right in the in the conversation because I think if if a team just gets risky and goes, you know what, I, all these kids are good, but which one can be great? Jesper Walsh, it's a kid that can really be great. Well, on that note, I think we just referenced about 17 different exciting storylines for the Red Wings and their fans, not even just for next year and the year after. Uh, so we're gonna wrap up. Uh, because that's a great way to rope Tony into coming back on the show plenty more between now and then. Uh, Tony Ferrari of Dauber Prospects, head of North American Scouting, uh, good friend of the Winged Wheel podcast. Tony, thank you for uh, coming on for the first time, and we look forward to doing it again, man. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, guys. It was fun. And that was our interview with Tony. Uh, we really appreciate Tony coming on. Um, he's doing great work over at Dauber prospects. I know later this week they're releasing their full 2021 rankings. So be sure to check that out. Um, it's difficult having those conversations now because even though next year is supposed to be, you know, supposedly a weaker draft year, which it is compared to the top end talent that came in 2020, at least that's how it's looking. It's hard not to get excited for the possibility of like an Owen power or a Brant Clark or an Edvinson or something like that. Buddy, I'm already on to Shane Wright catch up. <laughs> Brad, you're the one who's preaching. By the time Shane Wright comes around, that's when Detroit's going to phase themselves out of the lottery that they otherwise would have won. Have you not been paying attention to the draft lottery? We'll be finishing like 12th last in the league at that point, and we're right in the NHL's wheelhouse to win the lottery at that point. Yeah, but they'll have changed the rules. That'll be the first year they change the rules. I know. God, Ryan, I know. No, what's going to happen is we're going to win it next year. We're going to take a guy who's very good, but only marginally better than the guy who gets taken eight picks behind him. And then we're going to be still catastrophically bad for the Shane Wright draft, too. So it's not even like there's improvement, but we don't get Shane Wright. We'll finish dead last and not be eligible. That's what's going to happen. Just pain. That being said, it is a really good draft next year. So whoever we get uh, in the top 10 is going to be an impact player one day in all likelihood. And given the variety of positions, uh, we can almost the Red Wings will be able to cherry pick. Uh, we're looking thin on the right side. Let's go for that. Speaking of the Red Wings getting better, let's do a small insight into now that the roster is more or less set. You know, there might be a couple small changes here and there coming. Oh, it's worth noting that the arbitration window that opened 
as a result of, or the uh, buyout window that opened as a result of Bertuzzi's arbitration case uh, has since closed. It was a 24 hour window from Thursday to Friday um, and no buyouts are c- occurred. So Franz Nielsen remains a Red Wing. Um, it wasn't part of some Eisman grand plan to further buy out another player. Now, uh, I don't the know Red the numbers ro- exactly, but the reason they might not have bought him, there might be cap floor implications there that I'm unaware of. I haven't looked, but I know the Red Wings are still like bottom three for cap hit in the NHL. Yeah, I saw that question floating around. Maybe I'll dig that up. Um, but yeah, the, the Red Wings roster is more or less set for this next season. And a lot of that has been known for some time. And we've talked quite a bit about how we can expect a better Red Wings team, but not necessarily a good Red Wings team. So let's look, give a little bit of an, uh, attention to that. Summarize, you know, how the team has changed, then talk about what our expectations are. It won't be a deep dive. We'll be doing that later on, but, uh, just kind of a primer into, you know, what our expectations are for the Red Wings next season, what a successful season looks like and, and what a, you know, maybe failure looks like. Yeah. So again, we, we referenced it before in Dom's model, the Red Wings added the most wins this off season based on the players they added, but more importantly, the players they lost. Um, no Jonathan Erickson, no Trevor Daly, no Justin Abdelkader. Again, you hate to beat a dead horse, but that is huge additions by subtraction. Um, they were well below re- replacement level players, but then the replacements that they brought in for them are actually good hockey players, not huge needle movers. But when you've got a guy who's leaving, that's worth like negative 0.5 wins. And you bring in a guy who's only worth one, point uh, one win. That's still almost a full win needle move just on one exchange, hypothetically, right? Like losing a Trevor Daly, gaining a John Merrill, hypothetically, in theory, that's not a big move, but because the subtraction was so significant, but, and the addition was slightly positive, it adds up. Um, again, the Red Wings upgraded at every position they needed to upgrade. There is absolute reason to believe the Red Wings are going to be a lot better this year. And I know I talked about it a few episodes ago, even though the Red Wings were catastrophically bad last year, when you actually dive into it, they were also catastrophically unlucky. They were not 17 wins bad. That That's the reality of it. Mantha missing half the year, Zadina missing half the year, DeKaiser missing the f- damn near full year, having a horrible PDO. I, everything went against them. So they would be a better team this year if they didn't change a thing just by regressing to the mean. But then you add Bobby Ryan, you add Vlad Domestnikov, you add John Merrill, you add Troy Stetcher, you add Thomas Grace. This team is significantly improved, arguably the most improved team in the entire NHL. I'd probably still bet they finish 31st. So we should expect competition this year. We should expect a lot more wins. We should expect more close games. We should expect less blowouts. We should expect some progression from some of the key players. I wouldn't be surprised if Philip Zadina hits 20, 25 goals this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Robbie Fabry hits 20, 25 goals this year. Honestly, like again, not sure things, but all possible. This is still a bad hockey team. This is still a team without that true superstar that we hope Lucas Raymond will be. This is still a team without a true number one defenseman and a pessimist will say without a true top pairing defenseman. The jury's still out on Heronik. I think he'll get there, but I think we can all agree he's not there yet. On this team, he's obviously there, but I digress. Um, They have two really good goalies. Uh, Bernier played out of his mind last year and Grice played out of his mind, but he was behind a much better system. But I, I think 
we can all agree we're probably not going to expect a repeat of what Bernier gave us last year. And I think we can all agree Grice is not going to put up the numbers in Detroit that he put up behind one of the best defenses in the league. So again, a good team, uh, I'm not going to say good, a better team, a competitive team. In a lot of ways, they'll actually be an entertaining team this year, which is a far cry from what they've been the last few years. But make no mistake, this is still a very bad hockey team by NHL standards. So long as the blowouts lessen, it'll feel like a win. That That's really how I look at it, because there were some bad, bad losses last year. And as long as the team looks at least somewhat competitive, at least that will make me feel like the team's moving in the right direction. Yeah, you look at team, like when St. Louis had their cup run, right? They went from last in, what was it, January, February, whatever it was, to making the playoffs and winning the cup. It's a great story. A lot of GMs say, why not us? That kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. That is an outlier. You can pretty well project where a team's going to finish before the season, right? Like if you're in, if you're a competitive team or you're just like just outside the bubble, yeah, there's a lot more upwards or, or room above your head to kind of like overachieve and succeed and improve as the season goes and become greater than some of your parts. And all of a sudden you're in the playoffs and you're, you're cracking skulls. Sure. But teams like Detroit, We've known exactly how bad Detroit's going to be every year since we started this podcast. Like, it, it's not been a secret. You look at the makeup of the team and you can understand where they're going to finish. So, having Detroit finish this last season and this upcoming season as the last, or in the season before, as the last place team or among the last place teams, that's not a surprise. We kind of saw it coming, and you can go into that season more or less okay because you can set standards for yourself you can set goals you can move the goalposts to make sure that you are you have some kind of internal victories but what evan just said hits the nail on the head it cannot be demoralizing it can't just be these soul crushing defeats like a 7-2 loss to some freaking non-playoff team on a wednesday night like it's just gutting it's bad for your team it's bad for the winning culture which you know, as much as I sound like a, a talking head on whatever sports station you hate the most, it's a real thing that has defined the Red Wings for a long time. It's bad for for prospect development. Like you cannot have that. And if what the Red Wings have done this offseason is get them out of that zone and into <laughs> losing all the time, but a regular amount, to me, that's a win. Dom Luchician says, or Luce Chicken, sorry, um, talks about you know, the last line in his piece talking about how many wins they added, um, it says there's a difference between playing at a 45 point place and pace and one closer to 70. It still sucks, but it's a lot less demoralizing. Look, man, if the Red Wings are going to be the last place team in the league, we probably knew that coming into the season. And that's the situation last year. That's the situation this off season, but I sure as hell don't want to go through what we went through last year. I don't want Dylan Larkin to have to break so many sticks off the glass. I don't want Anthony Mantha to going down to me and this team doesn't win a game for the next 14 games. Like none of that anymore. I want them to win when they deserve to win and adding the stability be that they did this off season should go a long way. When you remove Erickson, Ablocator, Howard, Daly, Madison Bowie, and Christopher N and then add, you know, I mean, Mark Stahl, Thomas Grice, Nemestikov, Stetcher, Bobby Ryan, and John Merrill. That's more the makeup of a, of a 70, 75 point team than a 45 point team. Yeah, exactly. And also too, like we obviously on this podcast zero in on the Red Wings because that's what we do. But when we're talking about standings, well, that's 31 teams. We have to look at 30 other teams to 
to see. And how many teams are still in the Red Wings range of bad? I can't see San Jose having a repeat performance of last year. Even though they're getting old, they still have Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, Mark Edward Vlasic, Logan Kutcher. They still have the pieces to be good. They somehow made their goaltending worse, but, you know, whatever. Maybe one of them will bounce back. LA is a team on the rise. I don't see it being that bad. The only three teams that I look at in the league and say, all right, I can see a reality where Detroit finishes ahead of them is Ottawa, New Jersey, and Arizona. That's pretty much it. I think everybody else is in a different tier. And again, all it takes is LA to have Anjay Kopitar have a bad injury or Buffalo to have a Jack Eichel injury. And, and they're right down there with us. But again, when you're making these predictions and talking about the league as a whole, you can't bank on that because we knew the Red Wings were going to be bad last year. And if you told us Anthony Mantha was going to miss half the season, yeah, we would have told you this would have been way worse than even we thought. So, you know, it could happen to everybody anytime. Who knows, especially in a season like the one that we're probably going to have here, which is going to be weird, chaotic and just messed up. Although the, uh, who is it? Travis Yost did a, a geographical, here's what would make the most sense for the division to how the divisions to line up. So the NHL could be as safe as possible this year. And the division Detroit ended up in, I looked at it and went, holy shit, they might actually, they could make the playoffs of that division because it wasn't oh. good because they were in a division with like, oh man, it was, I, I wish I would have saved the article, but yeah, there were, there were two teams, Chicago, they could have finished ahead of Columbus and Minnesota were in there. Although I don't think Columbus is going to be bad. And there was two other bad teams in the division. I think Buffalo might've been one of them, but it's just like, you look at it and you go, yeah, maybe, maybe it just takes a <laughs> couple things to go right. <laughs> what, uh, what division is it? Yeah. The NFC East where the two, four and one Eagles are leading right now. Oh, and the NFL? That's what that division will be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, God, e- e- get some filler. I'm going to go find this. Uh, I'm going to run the numbers at some point to see what the average loss margin was for the Red Wings last season. But one big stipulation for success for me is to make sure they don't lose by, you know, three, four, five goals so many times next year. If they lose a bunch of one or two goal games, that's fine. I don't want blowouts by the end of the second period. That is a huge, huge standard for me for them to reach. Yeah, being um, part of at the end of the year, you know how they always calculate losses by one goal games. I would really like to see the Red Wings outside the bottom ten, so in the the better half of the league. And I mean, I, I would prefer to have wins, but judging by the the size of the losses this past season, if it's if they're in the in the better half of the loss by one goal uh, category, that'd be great. And another another point here for me, I think I said this on a previous episode, but if I had to pick an arbitrary number for them where I'd say it's a, it's a success, 70, 75 points, it's not good. You're not making the playoffs for sure, but it means they're at least playing up to their standard and not breaking records in the wrong direction. So I think I said that last time and Brad laughed at me like, what the hell? Why is that a good thing? But genuinely, like if they can get to that mark, then I'm, I'm looking at this team and saying, okay, like you're winning the games you deserve to win. Jeff Blashill, you're not, you know, making coaching decisions that are taking, you know, games away from your team. The goalies aren't falling through the floor. It's pathetic and I don't want to be there for too long, maybe one season, but that 70 to 75 point mark is uh, for me, I'd be satisfied with. Okay. So I, f- I found the article about, uh, 
the proposed regional divisions that Travis Yost came up with. So he came up with a West division, which was Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, LA, San Jose, Vancouver, a South Carolina, Dallas, Florida, Nashville, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, an East Boston, New Jersey, the Islanders, Rangers, Flyers, Capitals, a Canada division. That one's obvious. And then a lakes division, Buffalo, Columbus, Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh. So in this model, I think three teams from each division and four from the Canadian division would have to make the playoffs for the math to work out. So all Detroit would have to finish ahead of is Buffalo, Chicago, and then one of Columbus or Minnesota. And they could, in theory, make the playoffs <laughs> if the NHL adopts something like this. So they would, they could be a bottom five team in the NHL and make the playoffs in this scenario. It's, before- it's one man's opinion. So it's obviously not likely the nhl something the nhl is going to do but he did like full calculations to reduce travel etc etc to come up with the safest format possible so if the nhl does something like this this isn't too out there (laughs) and before detroit trades for taylor hall from buffalo at the deadline to make a late push for the playoffs and and like pittsburgh's the only what I would call upper tier team in that division. So it's not like Detroit would have to get blown out by Tampa Bay and Toronto and Boston six times each a year. Like every game would be winnable, even if they get swept except for Pittsburgh in theory. Yeah. You almost don't want that, right? No, you, you absolutely don't because uh, I, I don't want another year of saying this, but it's true. The Red Wings still need elite players. They need high draft picks. It. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But the more I think about it, as good as Zadina, Cider, and Raymond are, that's probably not a cup contending core. You still need to add one or two more pieces to it. Now, there's been some great developments in the SHL. Maybe Berggren gets into that conversation. Maybe Albert Johansson gets into that conversation. Maybe uh wallander and tuomisto develop as good as we hope but being reasonable i think they still need one or two more pieces and then they make the playoffs and they play tampa bay and it's like that uh, scene in south park where the kids from south park play the red wings (laughs) (laughs) but the opposite (laughs) yeah Oh, or man. they do a one v sixteen, and it actually is Colorado beating the ever living shit out of Detroit this time. Which it is, if they do a one to sixteen, very possible. All right, we're gonna head over to uh, overtime now, where we're gonna take your questions. We're gonna start with our patrons, uh, the lovely supporters of the Winged Wheel Podcast, that are the people that make this show happen. Um, Thank you all so much. And uh, for all of you who have been getting your swag recently, uh, tweet it out. Show off. Show the pictures. We like to see what you guys do with it. Um, our friend Blake Medler posted a picture um, of the one of those massive, one of those few giant winged wheel pos- podcast flags that are out in the world and uh, from Qatar. So definitely one of the cooler places to see us repped. Um, okay, so we're going to start with a Patreon comment from Al the Octopus who says, Raymond has looked very solid in the SHL so far. Do you think uh, he would have been drafted higher if this was his draft year, same draft class? Uh, and same line of reasoning, where do you think he'd be drafted if he was in 2021? Side note, my favorite sushi place just went out of business due to COVID. Make sure to support your local businesses. That's where devastating. Would, sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I no, I'm, I'm question because I kind of was reading something there. 
anytime uh, your local, like I'm horrified of the, our local places going out of business. So yeah, definitely support local. Um, yeah. Where would Lucas Raymond go if, you know, he was getting this ice time. This was his draft year, but just somehow it was the same draft class. And then conversely, if he was in the 2021 draft class, where would he rank? So if if we had a full season extra, so if it was hypothetically a 19-year-old draft and we got to see this, it'd be interesting because Lafreniere and Byfield aren't playing. So we don't know what's going on there. Stutzla hurt himself. I don't think it would be unreasonable to think uh, Raymond goes two or three. Nobody's unseating uh, Lafreniere. I think three or four is still Raymond's range, which is what I thought it was in this draft. Um, I still think it goes Lafreniere, Byfield, one, two, because Byfield's pick was more about potential than anything else. So I don't think that would change. Um, So yeah, three or four. If Raymond's in the 2021 class, based on what we know about Raymond now and going into his draft year versus what we know about the 2021, I think he goes first. Legitimately, he's he's the, yeah, he, he might be the favorite for first overall. Again, it's a really, really good draft, but it's not a top-heavy draft. There is no Byfield. There is no Lafreniere in that next draft. As as good as some of these defensemen are, as soon as good as some of these forwards might be, and again, these kids are going to get another year to prove us wrong. I mean, Stutzla was not a top 10 pick before this past season. So one, two, three, these kids are absolutely going to turn it on and change our minds. I look at Kent Johnson. I look at Brant Clark as two guys who I, I think have the talent to be something special, um, but they need another year of proving it because they're still very raw. But yeah, based on what we know now, I, I, I would have Lucas Raymond at number one. Um. Next comment is from Fondle Me Till I'm Streaming. Uh, says, "Howdy guys, uh, I've been keeping up with the over. I've been I haven't been keeping up with overseas hockey as much, so I'll be discussing other sports. Firstly, Ryan, I missed the F1 race this morning. Please enlighten me with a quick recap. Um, Bottas was leading. He had debris, so uh, Hamilton took the lead through an overcut and a very fortunate safety car. Verstappen's tires blew out. A bunch of crap happened." Uh, Hamilton Bottas and our our boy Danny Rick got another podium. Uh, MSU beat Michigan. How do you guys live with the fact that currently Harbaugh is 0-5 against the far superior Ohio State and only 3-3 three and three against the semi-superior and unranked Michigan State? I don't like Harbaugh. I never have. I never will. Uh, look, I have nothing. I have nothing. I'm dead inside. I I, there's just nothing that Michigan football, either the Lions or Michigan themselves themselves have done to make me happy. I want to love Harbaugh. I think he's a good coach. Maybe I don't know enough, but frick, man. Um, also feels bad when Trevor, I'm I'm not a girl, I swear, Lawrence gets the big Rona and Clemson. I don't get that one. Lawrence gets a big Rona and Clemson almost loses to Boston College. NFL time, I've given up on starting Josh Allen. And at this point in time, uh, I think the Eagles have a shot at bumping off the Cowboys ever since Andy Dalton got his head torn off. That is all. Peace. Um, next comment here is from Ryan Hanna Brand Wings and Pizza. It says, bye-bye, Mitchell Miller. You guys didn't talk about him at all. Yeah. You know, the the whole Mitchell, Mitchell Miller thing came up actually when uh, we were talking about the draft itself in the Discord. Uh, during draft day like that article came around and so i was kind of surprised to see it pop up again um all i want to say is arizona definitely knew going into it and maybe they didn't know that he didn't actually try to make any apologies to the family at all 
that might be new to them, but I, I would bet that they did. And if they didn't, that's just as stupid. Also, if you're not going to pick in the first three rounds and you pick someone with that history with your first available pick, that's just terrible management. And, and make no mistake, this wasn't Arizona um, suddenly developing a conscience. This was Arizona saving PR. That's all this was. We knew about what Mitchell Miller did going into the draft and during the draft. And they talked about it, I think, on the actual draft broadcast on day two. I don't give a crap if Arizona didn't know that he didn't apologize to the guy. They knew what he did. There's no excuse. Like, oh, man, I... I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in second chances. I think everybody, everybody deserves a second chance as long as you're putting in the work and show something to prove you're trying to change. The fact that he was intimidating this kid two years after his court date tells me everything you would need to know. I don't care. He did not change. He learned nothing from that instance. So screw this guy because there's been countless stories of guys who were went down a bad path or were who a-holes and turned it around and turned into great people, great athletes, great actors, great members of society, whatever you want to call it. But <laughs> this doesn't seem like one of those. Yep. Uh, willingness to... Uh, learn from your mistakes is a very human and mature thing to do, which seemed to be absent from this scenario from both uh, Miller himself and the Coyotes. So, you know, woe unto both of them. Uh, which is the worst run franchise, the Lions or the Coyotes? Oh, man. It's got to be the Coyotes. It has to be. At least the Lions are getting high draft picks out of it. Yeah, it's impressive that it's not the Lions. Also, Kirill Chuchiev looks really good. He's still tiny, but so skillful. Um, Adam says, I get that people wanted the wings to buy out Nielsen, but someone needs to be exposed next year. Most of the kids are overseas for the foreseeable future, so we don't need it to open a spot for them. Plus, as you all have mentioned before, we need an NHL team next year. Uh, next question says, Hey guys, I thought about it after the last episode. Say Stevie doesn't see any more viable options to take on bad contracts and assets. Would it be possible to sign Mantha to a long-term contract and front load it with money this year and next year and structure the remaining years to be a lower cap hit similar to what the 49ers did with Jimmy G just thinking we could possibly have some big contracts in the years to come if the prospects trend upwards. Uh, sorry. Is he implying that pay him more money, like have a higher cap hit up front? Cause the cap hit in the NHL is just the average. You could pay him $10 million in the first year, $5 million in the last year. It's still going to be a $7.5 million cap hit every year. Quick maths. Um, so, yeah. that's And if you look at a lot of the longer-term contracts that were signed this offseason, the few of them that there were, they're all backloaded in money because nobody has money to pay these guys right now. So it's like, all right, we're going to give you a $4 million average. We're going to pay you two and a half this year, but we'll pay you six in the last year because... We're hoping we'll have some uh, disposable income by then because right now we don't. Um, Blake Medler says, I'm disappointed. Blake is the one who posted the flag. He says, I'm disappointed in you, Ryan. You didn't retweet me. The Wingfield podcast account doesn't count. Uh, Brad, I expected nothing, so you got to pass. Evan, you're awesome and a truly a man of the people. I hope you never change. I what won't. is this referring to? The flag. The tweet with the flag, the picture. Oh. <laughs> yeah. As usual, Evan puts in the least effort and gets his number one on this show. Yeah, we can't fight it. He truly is. 
Yep. Uh, Zach Tretnick says rant time in honor of that joke of a team in Ann Arbor. 30 seconds each. What is the non-wings sports memory that gets you fired up the most? In terms like of angry or hype? Uh, if it's hype, it's 2010 gold medal, like golden goal. Uh, yeah. If it's anger, uh, it's got to be playoff Lions playoff game against Dallas picking up the flag. Okay, really, really obscure one, and I'm I won't get too specific, but what was it? Game six, two thousand fifteen, ALCS Blue Jays versus Royals. Jays are threatening to tie the game late. The Royals are up by one, and Ben Revere was at plate at the plate and had two strikes called against him that were two of the most egregious calls I've ever seen in baseball, and in a situation that important and he obviously ended up uh striking out on that one and basically ended the blue Jays season i'll mm, i'll never forgive that umpire it was so bad and the blue jays were better than the royals that year i don't care i'll mm, still still rattles me uh ken pope says the red wings development camp excuse me the shl is progressing well with how good the boys are doing they're probably cheesing a lot they might even need a certain kind of bag for all that cheese uh, i'm loving what i see from raymond guy has a deadly shot and the presence he has on the ice is noticed uh cider crucifies everyone and bergeron is shaping up amazingly as well the future is looking swedish for hockey town let's also hope we get the number one pick in 2022 on a side note coyotes uh dylan krill says hey guys i've been watching some ushl preseason games and i got to watch chase bradley and he's an absolute shit disturber especially in front of the net i tweeted out a clip of the game where he gets a double minor roughing penalty in a 10 minute uh, game misconduct for continuing the altercation he has decent skating and some skill he could potentially become a perfect fourth line player that brings a nice bite what are your thoughts on him also what are your favorite kinds of wings and pizza I mean, if Chase Bradley, all I want is fourth liners who can do their job and chip in a little bit offensively. So if he turns into that guy, great. The agitator role would just be an added bonus. Um, I'm not going to bring up my favorite type of pizza again, just for fear of triggering Ryan because he thinks uh, grilled chicken on pizza is blasphemous. Uh, But I'm just a fan of a, a classic hot wing like not the point where it's burning your mouth and you're losing the flavor but like you know a good hot wing and it's always got to be flats oh man yeah flats and garpar wings are are so good um what's what do you call it when it's uh buffalo yeah buffalo wings buffalo i think are really good yeah uh we'll have the pizza conversation another day (laughs) uh la plata pleak says um do you all have any thoughts on Detroit or Buffalo possibly being incorporated into the Canadian division and being based in Windsor and St. Catharines, respectively? I know this idea is as likely as Mitchell Miller ever winning the Lady Bang and that fans in those cities and families, the players would probably hate it, but that there are also many fans of those teams, Nord de la Frontière, that would love it, the hosts of this podcast among them. Hey, the Wings playing in Windsor would be sweet, be back to the uh, pre-Olympia days. There's- I don't wish anyone to stay in St. Catharines, though. There's no way Windsor's Arena could properly support that. Um, 15,000 people. I don't see how that even makes sense from a number standpoint, because if the NHL wanted to stick with four divisions, you would still need a seven-team division, so there'd be no reason to add another team to the Canadian division. You would just come up with um, you know, your three eight-team divisions in the States. Um, 
Yeah, I don't. And then players have to live away from their families needlessly. I just, I, I don't see that happening. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Jacob, why did I wait until the season to start following the Red Wings? Votes, uh, V-O-G-T-S. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, says, I literally became a Patreon supporter so I could point out the obvious cider Cronwald equivalent demoed. They could even make demolition derby graphics to put on the screen and possibly probably even sell some posters, shirts, etc. Yeah. Hold on. How does that work? So we say side demoed? No, no. Or is it just demoed? demoed? Yeah. Or mowed down is another one that popped up. Demoed. I don't love it. It's a reach. (laughs) It's it's Uh, a bit of a reach been great for a fan who only just started following the wings this season not for lack of trying by my cousins when i was younger though at one point i even had a shirt featuring cronwall from them look it's not the worst time you could have started five years ago but uh (laughs) yeah yeah it's been it's been a long time since we've been happy (laughs) push through it's on the up uh and thank you for the support uh sam w says hey guys maybe this is wishful thinking but is there a world where a non-contact ohl season could make for potentially interesting alternative development paths for certain prospects for example some physical defensemen will add to their ability to defend with their stick power forwards will need to get clever on the forecheck and it might be more possession-based game all around it's not ideal by any means but what do they say necessity is a mother of invention i could i could see benefits you're absolutely right like um uh, for example, Donovan Sabrango plays, uh, he, he's not the biggest guy, but he plays a physical brand. So he would have to master his gap control and his uh, stick and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, but the negatives far outweigh the few positives that players would gain in it. Uh, Cody Stark asks, do you think staying above the cap floor is a reason why Nielsen wasn't bought out? Yeah. Well, the comment earlier, like cap floor, you have to have certain people exposed the amount of money that's going to cost in ter- just in terms of dollars, probably just because I don't know, I think maybe we got a little bit too galaxy brained. Not that anyone was like, we were really like devoted to it or, or thought it made a ton of sense. We were just kind of exploring the hypothetical. I just don't think it was ever really on the table. I think it's just like a, a, a coincidence. What is the cap floor? I uh, not tell you. Because their projected cap hit is sixty six million, so that's without yeah. Bertha, though to be fair, yeah, it, that, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says. So, short question: Which series is the best, The Witcher or The Mandalorian? I, it's close, but I'll give it to The Mandalorian for now, until I see both seasons. Two. Have you watched episode one of The Mandalorian? Sure have. I, uh, as an avid fan of both, I gravitate towards The Witcher. I like Henry Cavill's acting ability slightly more. And for some reason, I just do not enjoy the supporting cast in Mandalorian. Their performances just seem so forced to me. Maybe other people feel differently, but for me, it kind of just, you know, breaks it down. And I have well, trouble getting through some of the, some of the scenes. Who plays Baby Yoda? <laughs> Isn't it Yoda? I don't know. <laughs> no, <I> was, <laughs> is that a question? Is that an actual question? No, it was a stupid joke. Oh. Uh, Brad, have you watched either? Nope. 
That's good because he says when Brad says he doesn't watch either, I'm obliged to buy him a pizza with chicken, banana, pineapple, onions, <laughs> peanuts, and curry if you ever come to Sweden. Uh, Josh Yelton says, what's up, guys? Happy November 2nd. Two-parter for you guys. What's your opening night roster prediction and how many wins do you think the Red Wings will have next season? Okay, so how many wins do we think we'll, they'll have? Because the roster is pretty much as is now. 27. Yeah, I'll give them. Uh, Are they playing I'll, an I'll 82 give them 29. Game, 82 games? Yeah, 82 game pace. I'll say 28. I'll go 29. I'm the mo- I'm officially the most optimistic again. Yeah, but I could I points. could factor in a whole bunch of overtime losses here. You don't know. I could have a higher point total than you. In terms of roster projection. <laughs> oh, here I got a handy depth chart that I can absolutely rattle through it in a hurry. Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha, Zadina, Nemesnikov, Fabry, Helm, Philpola, Ryan, Gagne, Glendenning, Svechnikov, Timoshov, Nielsen, DeKaiser, Hronik, Stetcher, Nemeth, Merrill, Biega, Stahl, Bernier, Grice. There you go. Uh, finishes by saying cheers and as always, Ferk the Blackhawks. Wingnut says, since you guys got me hooked on Drive to Survive, what team or driver should I jump on the fandom for? Maybe give each team its NHL comparable. Oh, it's there's no it, there's no comparable like Mercedes just won their seventh consecutive constructors championship and there no NHL team wins seven straight cups anymore. Um, I'd say don't cheer for teams. Pick your favorite driver. If you want the most likable guy in the grid, Daniel Ricardo by far. He's probably my favorite driver. I think Lewis Hamilton is quite obviously the best driver on the grid. But uh, Max Verstappen is like he's he's almost a generational talent with how fast he is i don't know that's gonna be like uh get in the discord we'll talk more in the discord garrett tv says hockey amigos what do you think are currently our prospect system strongest and weakest points keep rolling four lines let's go red wings uh as of right now defense and left wing like strong is that strongest or weakest strongest uh, cause this last draft, like before this past draft, it was very obviously right defense and left wing. Um, they added another left winger in Lucas Raymond, um, didn't do much with center other than Niederbach. They added uh, cross Hannes as a left winger, but they did a ton for the left side of the defense to the point where both sides of the defense are strengths now in the prospect system. So yeah, I think they have a huge weakness in goalie right wing and center and everywhere else is uh pretty good right now yeah the weakness at center a lot of people are going to say oh what about valeno and what about niederbach it's like yeah those are two good ones but those are two good ones where their realistic up like ceiling looks like they'll be good second line centers if all goes well like it's not even can like certain and sure anything can happen and they can project even higher up but at the same time they need more top end center talent uh third man in says go green that's a comment thank you for making me read that out i'm gonna have to go brush my teeth uh sam bankston says uh bankston says one thing i appreciate about bears and lions fans is we can all agree to a big blow pack blow skull vikings Ew, i love watching green bay lose so much man it makes me so happy 
stay fresh cheese stay fresh and please vote cheese bags says oh skippity doo skippity yay my oh my skipping comments all day poor joseph has missed the <laughs> the patreon thread twice says what you mean you can't respond immediately 72 hours after the episode was posted to answer my comment and then instantly re-edit the episode that's how it works right a note on chase bradley it looks like there was a run on shit disturbers in the seventh round thus prompting stevie to swipe the extra seventh to take him it's just a matter of time before the coyotes are flipped again and they're likely to stay in the central will they go to houston the largest tv market without an nhl team kansas city with the massive sprint slash t-mobile center and thriving downtown area or milwaukee for the rich and storied minor league hockey traditions stay fresh cheese bags and for the love of god and all that you treasure on this great green and blue world vote Houston makes the most sense to me. Yeah, Houston was the one that jumped out to me as well. Yeah, if they were going to go for um, history and like, you know, Milwaukee makes sense because they have that uh, foundational hockey there, they would have already been in Quebec City. Um, They would have been back in Hartford. I think the way you listed them is their order of likelihood, Houston, Kansas City, and then Milwaukee. I don't even think I'd consider Milwaukee in the picture. The NHL, anytime they expand or move a team, needs to consider money um, because this league, despite you know being a multi-billion-dollar league, uh, still has to have a lot more growth to to maintain relevance. So, and they need an ownership uh, group that wants to bring them there. And right now, I think Houston is the only one that has uh, an ownership group, even with minor interest. Lauren T says, long time, no comment. News is saying the AHL is shooting for a February return. Opinions on how realistic this is? Very. You think very for a February return? Very realistic? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, very. I don't think think anything is very realistic in the COVID world. Okay. Relatively speaking to the other options, yes. Considering how big of a curveball it is day by day, week by week, month by month. I'm not even certain there'll be a NHL season in 2021. Yeah. Certainly not with fans. I have no idea. I'm not a medical expert. I just play one on TV. <laughs> um, and the AHL definitely will need ticket sales to, to keep afloat. So I, if they can, they will. But I just don't know. Yeah uh lauren goes on to say it'll be interesting to see what kind of movements we'll see between detroit and grand rapids grand rapids with the covid weirdness also will be interesting to see what kind of fan attendance will be allowed slash safe because the ahl teams really depend on that revenue hoping for more winged wheel podcasts meet up soon when it's safe stay healthy and let's go red wings yeah i i I realize how much i missed it when i realized we passed like the the home opener meetup time and people started talking about grand rapids again um time for some comments here from reddit hz40 says who will go down with the bigger positive impact on world history theodore roosevelt or theodore niederbach <laughs> oh we don't know yet can't say for sure i would call it probably a dead heat right now uh you know niederbach has his ceiling is through the roof um jazz 0070 says i've seen some raymond highlights over twitter and reddit needless to say i'm very impressed i also thought he'd be producing more than what he is i know he's in the shl and playing against men but looking at his stats and holtz's stats uh it does not take an engineer to recognize that holtz is performing better what are your thoughts on this uh alex holtz plays for a far weaker team and is still getting more uh, a better opportunity than raymond is so even though raymond's finally getting more minutes in for London this year. He's not a top-line player. He's still only getting your 14 to 17 minutes a night from the looks of it. So 
Uh, I don't know Holtz's exact, um, I don't know what to call it, time on ice and what his role is there, but I'm, I would be willing to bet where Jurgarden in as a team that it's lesser. At least I think it's Jurgarden that I'm thinking of. Let's also consider the fact like Holtz is no schlub just because he he was drafted or ra- maybe ranked lower than Raymond. Uh, he was very well regarded as probably more NHL one of the more NHL ready prospects. Um, I think his ceiling is obviously lower than Raymond's, but the guy's a shooter and he's going to produce now. So um, credit to him as well. Uh, Northern AFID or AFID says you, uh, you guys are talking about up and coming epicenters of hockey and how Germany has recently been establishing itself as a source of quality players. What's the hockey culture in Norway like, and how come we don't see prospects coming from Norway in the same frequency as their Scandinavian neighbors? Aren't they like super big into Nordic sports? So it might be that that's the focus for yeah. the most part or where the funding goes. I have no idea. I'm not I don't pretend know a whole to know. hell of a lot of about Norway, so I've got I've got nothing. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know, but if you want a country that's embedded and and becomes like a one of those sources for for ho- professional hockey players, that does start in the at the minor level. You need a strong minor league hockey system, and that is the like that is one of the hallmarks of any successful hockey program or country. So if Norway doesn't have that, that's a great place to start. Like if a kid starts, like grows up and the main sport is cross country skiing, you're going to have way more talented cross country skiers than you are going to be hockey players. It doesn't take a, a rocket electrician to, to figure that out. Uh, hot dog seven, five, two says, I just know 2021 will be the year we went first overall because the talent disparity between first and like seventh will be marginal and then miss out on the 2022 and 23, uh, drafts with potential generational talents like Wright, Michkov and Bedard. Yeah. It's professed. Uh, couple more <laughs> questions here jet ski 2371 says will you accept me as a patron even though i live in london and i'm a huge london knights fan hey man you're exposed to some really good hockey but mm. well hey we let ohio state fans yeah that's fair we, that's we can fair. let london night fans there just uh, just know that we will let you be a patron but there is nothing in our patreon rules that says i have to be nice to you uh, Coltron 57 <laughs> says if music is going to be a popular overtime topic for a short period of time are any of you fans of the glorious sons they quickly shot up into my favorite bands and they can't make a bad song in my opinion they're from Kingston I believe I don't know anything of them off the top of my head no but I do appreciate the uh, the music recommendation so I'll check them out and we have a few comments here just from people saying thank you for the show and, and everything like that someone from Sweden it looks like um, Sinji the one says want to say cheers from Sweden so all of you who are saying that thank you so much we appreciate it um, we are probably going to wrap up this episode here and come back to you midweek um, obviously this is going to be a hectic week in the world for, for quite obvious reasons so we'll be coming at you I think think thursday maybe wednesday we'll see how things shake out um to maybe take your mind off things with some hockey but for now thank you all for tuning in uh thank you tony ferrari for coming on the show we'd like to thank all of our listeners uh our name level sponsors ra brendan lee zach spring citizen high five arjun shanker cody stark greech jake Kiefer, 
Ryan, Hannah, Brand, Wings and Pizza, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kalen Wood, Hassam Alkasem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, Josh Yelton, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Michael Alsante, Ashley Van Conant, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Rob Rasso, Simon Anderson. Stay fresh, cheese. Stay fresh and please vote cheese bags. Antonio Gracias, John Evans, and Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all. Take care. Vote, vote safely if you haven't. And we will see you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.